Luke 15, verse 1. This is God's word. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice in me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is, feeling to, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. Let me pray and ask blessing for the preaching of it. No, come up here. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that we see in this passage your heart for the lost. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this, I pray that you'd be with Justin, that you would use him to speak to us. Use him as your servant to come and reveal to us how good you are. I pray that you would be with him, help him to be bold, help him to say the things that you want him to say. And Lord, I pray that you would help, just physically help him preach, help him to feel good. And I pray that he would enjoy it and we would all enjoy it too. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys know that I uh, <clears throat> I enjoy Tim Keller, David, and I both, and we like to uh, quote, or I like to quote from him from time to time. Uh, he, David and I had the privilege this past uh, week of being in Dallas for RUF training and some church planner training, and, and uh, Tim Keller was there doing the, some of the training, and that was that was an enjoyable time to us. But it also meant my week's been kind of crazy, uh, and on top of being sick, I've been out of town a lot, and so. Uh, I'm relying on Tim Keller more than usual this morning. So, if you, um, I didn't just copy what he said at training, but uh, I, I have been drawing heavily from his book, The Prodigal God, and, and I would encourage you to pick that book up. It's very short, maybe a hundred pages, uh, and it's it's a small book, um, and and it really enlightens you on this uh, parable that we've been looking at the past couple of weeks. Uh, but but like I was saying, I was in Dallas this past week for this training, and on. Uh, the day I was scheduled to come home, I'd already reserved the shuttle. I'd paid for it. I'd paid the tip. It was supposed to pick me up at 5 o'clock at the hotel. And about 4 o'clock, we got done. And there were a couple of guys who were leaving to go to the airport and said, does anybody need a ride? And I was like, well, I'll just ride with these guys I know. I've already paid them. That guy's got his tips. They, they won't care if I'm on the van or not. So I hop in the car with these guys, and we're booking down the interstate heading to the airport. And, and, and on the way, one of them said something that kind of, jarred something and I said wait wait which airport are you going to because <laughs> you see Dallas Texas has two airports uh, and we were on our way to Love Field and I needed to be at Dallas Fort Worth um, I, I, up until that moment I was convinced that I was heading in the right direction I was convinced that I was doing what needed to be done to get to the airport yet if you had looked down on me from above uh, you would have realized that I was actually completely lost. Even though I thought I was going in the right direction, I was actually going in the wrong direction. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a type of lostness this morning. Uh, it's a very dangerous lostness uh, because th- the fact is uh, you can be lost in this way and not aware that you're lost at all. Uh, it's a type of lostness that you might see uh, even in Bible-believing churches in Spartan South, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, not churches necessarily that don't believe the Bible, but churches that do believe the Bible and do believe uh, what the Scriptures teach about Jesus being the only way to God. Uh, it is possible to be in these churches, in this church even, and to be convinced you're heading in the right direction, and yet to be lost, to have... No real relationship with God. To have no real relationship with the Father. It's possible to be lost without realizing that you're lost. Uh, We said last week that while this parable is best known as the parable of the prodigal son, 
Uh, it's probably better known as the par- it would probably be better called the parable of the two lost sons because both of the sons in this parable are in fact lost. Uh, the younger brother who runs away from home to pursue while living is lost and the older brother who stays at home and does what he's supposed to do is equally lost. Uh, last week we looked at the younger brother uh, and I warned you all, it's coming this week. Today we're looking at the older brother, uh, the religious person, the guy who's doing what he's supposed to do. And I want us to see four things about this older brother today, uh, or about older brother lostness, we'll call it. Uh, one is the reality of older brother lostness. Uh, secondly, the signs of older brother lostness. Third, what's at the heart of older brother lostness. And then last, the cure for it. All right, so the reality, the signs, uh, the heart, and the cure. First of all, the reality. What this passage shows us is that you can be uh, very religious, uh, generally moral, a rule keeper, a Bible reader, uh, the one who stays at home, the one who keeps his nose clean, uh, the one who does what you're supposed to do and yet be lost. Have no real relationship with God. Now to see that, you've got to see again the context of this parable. Uh, In verses 1 and 2, we're told that the tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near uh, to hear Jesus. This was normal uh, in Jesus' ministry. Uh, He attracted this sort of people. He attracted people from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, And the Pharisees, and remember the Pharisees are the religious conservatives of the day. Uh, The Pharisees are offended by this. The Pharisees don't understand why this is happening. Uh, They say, this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. He has table fellowship with them, and we don't understand that. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Why is he with them? Why is he always drawing them to himself? And so in response to this, muttering among the tax collectors and the Pharisees, excuse me, to this muttering among the Pharisees about the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus tells three parables. He tells a story about a a man who goes out after a lost sheep. He tells a story about a woman who looks diligently uh, for a lost coin. And then he tells the story that we're concentrating on uh, about a father who willingly embraces and runs out and greets his returning lost son, this son who had left home, who had rebelled, who had wished that his father was dead and demanded his share of the estate and then squandered all of that wealth in wild living. Now he comes back, he returns home, uh, and the father runs out to greet him. He he gives him the best robe, the best ring, uh, shoes for his feet, he kills the fattened calf, they prepare a great feast and they all begin to celebrate that this lost son has returned home well the older brother is out doing what older brothers do he's doing what he's supposed to do he's out in the field laboring away doing his job and he begins to come in and he hears the sounds of the party and so he asks someone what's going on and a servant comes and tells him what's happened verse 28 tells us that what the older brother's reaction was it says that he was angry And he refused to go in. He was angry. 
and he refused to go in. Now, this is, this is probably the biggest party uh, his father has ever thrown. And he's saying to everybody, I don't approve of what my father's doing here. I don't think this is the right way for him to, to handle this situation, to celebrate the fact that when, when his son has abused him and neglected him in this way, why should he lavish him with these gifts when I'm the one who's been here this whole time slaving away for him? And yet we read that the father once again comes out and he goes to the older brother this time and he entreats him, the older brother, to come in. Think about the parables. We've got a shepherd going after the lost sheep. We've got the woman going after the coin. We've got the father running out of the house to greet the younger brother. And now he's going again. He's going because somebody else is lost. He's going out of the house to entreat the older brother to come in. The one who stayed home. The one who went to church. The one who memorized the catechism. He is just as lost as his younger brother. And the father is coming to him as well. He was lost, but he doesn't even know it. And so we see in this the reality of older brother lostness. Well, if that's the reality, what are the signs of it? How do we see it? You know, we, <clears throat> we clean up well in the South, don't we? Uh, we, we look nice. We put, a, we put a nice spin and a nice face on everything. Uh, and so it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell if someone's an older brother. It's hard to tell if we're older brothers. It's hard to see the older brotherness uh, in our own hearts. Uh, when I was on the way to the airport, something one of those guys said tipped me off that I was going in the wrong direction. Uh, what are some things that might tip us off to the older brotherness within us? Well, first of all, uh, he was angry. Verse 28 tells us that he was angry and he refused to go in. One of the, one of the first signs of older brotherness uh, is anger and resentment flowing out of our hearts. Uh, especially when things don't go according to plan. When things don't go the way you thought they were supposed to go. When life doesn't work out. When that happens and, and, and you feel like, man, I've been slaving away. I've been doing the right thing. I've been uh, dotting my I's and crossing my T's. And yet life doesn't work out. You're angry. You're resentful. You're angry at God even. God, look, look at what I've been doing. Why haven't you blessed me? I've been doing what you told me to do. The flip side of that is if you feel like you haven't been living up to standards and yet you have this uh, older brother in your heart uh, and you feel like you haven't lived up to standards, uh, you're going to be angry at yourself. You're going to be angry at God because you feel like you've done what you're supposed to do. Or you'll be angry at yourself because you realize I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, but yet it's all about me. And what this shows uh, at the end of the day is that you're being good. You're doing of the right thing. Your spirituality has, at the end of the day, been nothing more than an attempt to control your world by controlling God. If I do the right thing, God will bless me. My life will go well like I want it to go. 
it's not going that way, even though I've been doing what I thought I was supposed to do, that's when I'm angry about it. It's one of the first signs of older brother lostness. Uh, Secondly, older brothers are overly aware of other people's sins. Uh, they're overly aware of other people's sins. Uh, uh, listen to him. Look at, look at how he's wasted your money. Look at how he's uh, run off. Look at the things he's spent your money on, leaving me here to work. Older brothers are, are critical. Uh, do, you, do you ever find yourself um, perhaps mumbling to yourself, I can't believe he's in church. Or look at them, they, they should be. What are, what are they doing? They need to be in church. I can't believe she wore that. I can't believe their kids are doing that. I can't believe he's coming forward to receive communion. Uh, older brothers are kind of the, the sin police. All right? We're constantly on patrol looking, looking, looking to see what people are doing. We're overly aware of other people's sins. Now, there is a certain sense in which we ought to be disturbed um, by sin, but that ought to also be tempered by us being able to see our own sin and being aware of the reality of our own sin, which, is, which is, brings us to the third characteristic of older brothers. Older brothers are self-righteous. Uh, they're very confident in their own righteousness and so unable. If you're in that sort of situation, you're then unable to see your own sin. Right, listen to him. Look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command. Really? Really? Well, actually your dad's asking you to come in right now and you're disobeying him. You're in the middle of disobeying him and certainly this isn't the first time that you've disobeyed him. Uh, but because, uh, But that's very hard to see. Uh, older brothers, because they are self-righteous, um, have a very hard time with confession. There's very little repentance in their lives. Do you confess sin much? Flannery O'Connor <clears throat> says of one of her characters, and you've heard me say this before, and, I, and, and I'll probably use this quote, I'll talk about this more than anything other than justification, because I think this is just an amazing insight into the heart of of, of southern religion she has this character as she says of this character that he had a deep wordless conviction that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin he had a deep wordless conviction that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin elder brothers are absolutely terrified of being labeled a sinner they're absolutely terrified of actually needing Jesus of really needing Jesus. Not just in a, oh yeah, we all need Jesus sort of way, but to be one of those people whose lives has fallen apart and they actually need Jesus Christ. And so the way to avoid needing Jesus is to avoid sin. Avoid being honest about sin. Avoid actually confessing your sin. See, when your elder brother is very difficult to own up, to your sin. Uh, when was the last time you confessed? Not just to being a sinner in general, because we all can kind of do that. You're supposed to do that. That's part of the language. All right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, I'm a sinner. Uh, when was the, the last time you confessed to a particular sin? 
to a particular person uh, and not just a broad, generic confession? Do you own your sin? Uh, how many times this week have you gone to someone and repented? See, for the elder brother, confessing sin is like drinking vinegar. Uh, con- confessing sin is like the fawn saying he's sorry. Uh, for the for the older people in the congregation, you remember that it's just it's just hard to do. Uh, a fourth characteristic self uh, is in the elder brother is self pity. Hey, you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Is there a lot of woe is me in your life? Uh, a fifth <coughs> characteristic characteristic. For the elder brother, obedience is is joyless slavery. Obedience is joyless slavery. Listen to him. Look, these many years I've served you. Uh, The NIV puts it, I've slaved for you. One of the reasons it's so hard to detect is that elder brothers do the religious things have their quiet time they go to the bible study they go to worship they they do all these things but there's no joy in it all right uh, imagine um some job around the house that you've got to do now imagine doing it because you have to and doing it because you want to all right think of the two different approaches to what you're doing um, practicing the piano for two hours because you have to, because somebody's making you do it, and practicing the piano two hours because you want to. Uh, preparing a big meal for two or three hours because you have to and because you want to. You know, in, in one of those pictures... You're, you know how you are. You're muttering under your breath the whole time. You don't want to be doing it. You're, you snap at everybody that comes by. You're just in a foul mood. But in the other one, you're singing at the top of your lungs. Your favorite, you're kind of dancing as you do whatever you're doing. And you, you don't care that, that people hear like, you can't sing. I don't care. I'm, 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 I enjoy this. This is fun. This is what I want to be doing. See, if you have a real relationship with your Father in heaven, uh, your obedience, your spiritual disciplines will take on a different flavor. There'll be joy to them. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always just, whoo, having a quiet time, I'm excited. Um, but, but, and there'll be times when you're just like, you know, I, I just need to do this. Uh, but there is an overall different approach to your obedience, to your relationship with God, it's not just this drudgery that okay, I've got to do this, but there's actual delight in your heart that you can have this relationship with the Father, with your Father. You delight to pursue the Father who has pursued you. Um, but for older brothers, it just feels like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and God, you better bless this. Because I'm showing up, and I need you to show up. One of the places this really shows up is in your prayer life. Um, For older brothers, your prayers are almost always petitions. 
that 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 praise is just kind of ah, I don't know if I really get that. We're always asking for things. Uh, there's very little joy. In fact, you might not pray much at all uh, unless you're in trouble. Uh, because for the older brother, prayer is just a way to exercise control over your world by getting God to do what you want him to do. Do you ever Does that resonate with you at all? I know that does with me. It's just a way of of trying to control your world by getting God to do what you want Him to do. Uh, sixth characteristic, elder brotherness. Uh, elder brothers are not confident in the Father's love. And this is connected to the last one, but you hear Him saying, you never threw me a party. So you, you relate to God by your performance, and so you're never confident that He loves you. Uh, you're always trying to earn your salvation or at least justify the fact that he saved you. You're trying to generate a reason for him to love you. There's got to be something in me that makes him love me, and i gotta, I got to work that up. This is also why when you're an elder brother, you become uh, not just critical, but it's hard for you to receive criticism. Because you're busy, you're busy performing, and you're not confident in the Father's love. And the last thing here, elder brothers are constantly questioning the father's generosity. You wouldn't even give me a goat. Look what you gave him and you wouldn't even give me a goat. Which probably isn't true because the father says, all that I have is yours. For the elder brother though, what the father gives is never enough. We always want something else. There's no base note of gratitude and thankfulness in our lives. Uh, give yourself a checkup. Uh, there's more elder brother in our hearts than we want to admit. Um, <clears throat> so, so think about those signs and symptoms. Well, those are signs. That's kind of what's on the outside. What's in the heart of the elder brother? What's going on at the center? At the end of the day, the elder brother wants the father's things, but not the father. The elder brother wants the father's things, but not the father. The elder brother, in his heart, is in the exact same place as the younger brother. Neither of them are really concerned about a relationship with the father as much as they are concerned about how he uses his things for their benefit, about how they can get out from under his control. The younger brother ran away to try to get control. The older brother worked hard, but he was doing it for the same reason. He was trying to get control of his father's things. Listen to this quote from from Prodigal God. The elder brother's unspoken demand was, I have never disobeyed you. Now you have to do things in my life the way I want them to be done. Pride in his good deeds, rather than remorse over his bad deeds, was keeping the oldest son out of the feast of salvation. Pride in his good deeds was keeping the oldest son out of the feast of salvation. The elder brother's problem is his self-righteousness. 
the way he uses his moral record to put God and others in his debt, to control them and get them to do what he wants. His spiritual problem is the radical insecurity that comes from basing his self-image on achievements and performance. So he must endlessly prop up his sense of righteousness by putting others down and finding fault. The main barrier between Pharisees and God is, as, as I think Edmund Clowney said, not their sins, but their damnable good works. See, what separates the elder brother from God is not so much his conscious sins, it's his good works that are keeping him from going in to the feast of his father. Because at the heart of the elder brother is a desire for control. Except instead of trying to get control by being bad, he tries to gain control by being good. And what, what that means is that underneath all of his good works is a striving to be his own Savior and Lord. Uh, the elder brother's not resting in his father's love. He's not resting in his father's provision. He's not resting in his father's wisdom and rule. He's trying to get what he wants. And he's trying to get what he wants by being good. See, it's hard to see, isn't it? It's really hard to see that in yourself. Uh, and I've, I've realized even in, in the process of, of church planting, how much more I want success than God. That often I am, I am praying and I can be busy and I can be religious, but what I'm doing is, God, I want you to bless this. I don't necessarily want you. I want your things. I want your blessing. But I, okay, fine, relationship with you, that, that fits in there somewhere. What I'm really after is for you to do what I want you to do. And that's the heart of an elder brother. That's the heart of someone who says, God, I want you to do what I want you to do. I want to control you by my prayers so that you will bless me. I want the Father's things and not necessarily the Father. And see, when you when you're, have this heart that's driven by success, you'll be uh, critical of other people, uh, they don't they don't know what they're doing. They're not they're not doing that right, or you'll drop down into your own little pity party, feeling sorry for yourself. Have you ever been there? I hope somebody besides me has been there, um, <laughs> wanting wanting the father's things, the father's blessing, but not necessarily wanting the father. That's what's in the heart of the elder brother. Well, what's the cure? You're like, please do something about this. Uh, what's, what's the cure? Uh, there was a newspaper that asked the question once, what's wrong with the world? And invited people to, to write in their response to this question. And G.K. Chesterton replied, Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, that's... That's where the cure starts, is realizing that there's something wrong with you. But again, that's hard to see, isn't it? That's the dangerous thing about older brother lostness, is it looks like everything's okay because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not off in the far country. You're at home. You're in church. 
You're in the pews. Well, so what do you do? What do you do? Well, the first thing is this. Uh, Number one, uh, repent of your righteousness. (coughs) Repent of your righteousness. It's it's hard for Pharisees to repent of sins, but they, they do do it sometimes. The bigger hurdle is repenting of their righteousness. Uh, from the prodigal God, again, we must admit that we've put our ultimate hope and trust in things other than God, and that in both our wrongdoing and rightdoing, we have been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get hold of those things. It is only when you see your desire to be your own Savior and Lord, lying beneath both your sins and your moral goodness, that you're on the verge of understanding the gospel and becoming a Christian indeed. Um, he, in the book he says, this is when, when, when revival actually breaks out. It's when, when church-going folks aren't just saying, I'm sorry for my sins. It's when you actually begin to repent of your righteousness and realizing that there's nothing to it and that even your good deeds are often tainted by your wrong motives and that you've been doing your good things to try to get control of God. So repent of your righteousness. Secondly, uh, before you're able to do that, though, you need to see the love of a father who is pursuing you, whether you are an elder brother or a younger brother. You see, in all these parables, God in heaven loves to pursue lost things. He loves to go after the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost younger brother, and yes, even the lost elder brother. He loves him as well. The elder brother who stayed at home and didn't know he was lost. He goes to the door and he calls angry, resentful, blind elder brothers to repentance. And he calls them to come into the feast. And he says, I love you. I love your brother and I love you as well. Would you come in and celebrate? There's one last thing though, and we alluded to this last week. Uh, Did you notice in the parables, in the first two, somebody goes out looking for something. In the parable of the prodigal son, nobody goes out diligently looking. The father comes out to greet him, but nobody has gone out beating the bushes trying to find the lost son. After hearing those first two parables, the audience would be expecting, well, isn't somebody going to go looking for him? Somebody went looking Uh, for the sheep. Somebody went looking for the coin. Why isn't anybody going looking for this lost son? And in that culture, that job would have fallen to the elder brother. Uh, You are your brother's keeper. The elder brother should have been the one beating the bushes looking for his lost younger brother. But the younger brother in our story doesn't have an elder brother like that. He needs one, and you need one. And that's the tension that this story is meant to create. That that whether you're an elder brother or a younger brother or a bit of both, as most of us are, you need an elder brother who will come after you. 
an elder brother who will bring you back into the father's family at his own expense. The story is told of a young man who was missing, missing in action in Vietnam. Uh, and his family never could get any word of where he was or what had happened to him. And so finally, his older brother flew to Vietnam, went all through the battlefields, through the jungles at risk to his own life, trying to find his younger brother. It's said that he was never hurt because both sides respected what he was doing so much. And he became known simply as the brother. That's the brother. He's looking for his lost brother. See, what this story is saying, saying uh, to the, the tax collectors and the sinners who are sitting there, saying to the Pharisees and the scribes who are standing there grumbling, is that Jesus Christ, the one telling the story, is the elder brother that the story lacks. He is the one who comes at great cost to himself and does what needs to be done in order to bring elder brothers and younger brothers to the feast of his father. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, it's, it's, easy, it's easier to see uh, the younger brother in our hearts. We kind of know it when we've left the reservation, so to speak. Uh, but it's very difficult, it's very hard to see the elder brother within us. Uh, in, in fact, um, it might be there to the extent that we don't know you at all. So, Father, I pray that you would open blind eyes as only you can. Only you can seek and save the lost. We can't do that. I can't do that through great preaching or good preaching or bad preaching. But, but only you, as you work and move, can open the eyes of elder brothers. And I pray that you would do that in our lives uh, for your glory, uh, for our good, and because you love us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.